first message, I wanted to talk about food during church. Is that all right? You guys, you guys promise not to, to disconnect and your mind go where the food is before I'm done talking? It's because it is dangerous to preach about food because especially on Sunday morning, that's, everybody starts thinking about lunch. But that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, we started uh, the morning with communion. So uh, thank you all if that was new for you. That's, that's what we do on the first Sunday of every month. That's kind of how we partake in communion together and, and celebrate the Lord's Supper. Starting next week, we're actually going to have communion available to partake of every week. Uh, on the first Sunday, we're still going to do it as a big group like this and take time in the middle of service and, and reflect on the elements together. On every other Sunday, right over here towards where Dennis is sitting, we're going to have a table with the elements on it. And when you first come to church, as you're preparing yourself for the service, or even during the first worship song, a couple minutes into the service, when you or your family want to come up and receive the elements together, you'll be able to just come over here to the table. There'll be somebody standing there to help uh, administer the elements to you, and you can just receive them and reflect on Jesus there at that moment. And uh, it's going to be exciting because I think God meets us in the moment of, of his table any time that we do that in remembrance of him. He's, he's there present. So uh, it's going to be an exciting time, and uh, hopefully you get to take advantage of that. Because I've had people ask that of, man, I, I miss communion, and we only do it once a month. Now I feel left out. Well, if we do it every week, even if you miss the first Sunday, you'll still be able to come and partake and, and have it available to you. Does that sound like a good plan to everybody? Uh, I did have a couple questions that people asked me. How are we going to do that? And uh, there's a word for it. You guys ready? The word is intinction. Everybody say intinction. Intinction is a big word that means we're not going to fill up a whole bunch of little cups every week. That's, in a practical sense, that's what it means for the ushers. In the real sense of what intinction means, when you come up to receive, they're going to tear you off a piece of bread, they're going to dip it in the juice, and then hand it to you. So you get it all one shot there. That's, I don't know who came up with the word intinction, but that's, that's what it means is dipping the bread into the juice and then receiving it. Uh, so on a practical, logistical sense, that's what it's going to look like. Uh, I did want to remind everybody, I, I'm just going to start talking about communion because that was kind of some of the notes I had prepared for my sermon today. So just uh, journey with me here as I start talking until I actually say something profound. Uh, communion, I, I'm supposed to remind us this morning that communion, even though we're going to do it weekly, communion is not a prerequisite for salvation. You know, Romans 10.9 tells us we, we believe in our heart that Jesus died for us and we confess with our mouth, you'll be saved. So communion is just something we do that helps us reflect on that, and it helps us participate in that life and reminds us that, oh, the life of Christ that he laid down for us is my life. I get to own that. So uh, that's why we're going to do it every week. It's not because you're not going to be saved if you don't get communion every week, because I've also seen uh, some churches that teach that. If I had a guy that came up to me at work. Um, he was at church with me in Virginia. And he came up telling me this story about work. He said, Pastor Chris, or I wasn't pastor at the time, so he just called me Chris. But uh, he says, Chris, I went to work. And there's this, there's this Christian there, you know, who I was excited to find another Christian to work. But the more we start talking about things, I I'm, I'm, don't know what to do. He told me that if I don't go to a church that gives communion every week, I'm not saved and I'm going to hell. I was like, well, that's not true. And, you know, we talked about a couple practical things. It's by faith, and you just believe. It's not by works. So 
That's, we're not doing communion every week so that you're saved. It's just something that's going to help us celebrate and rejoice in the Lord. Uh, communion, you'll hear it at different places called different things. Uh, you'll hear the phrase, the Eucharist, the Blessed Sacrament, Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper. Uh, basically, they, they are all talking about something similar to what we did this morning, where we are partaking of elements that remind us of Jesus' life laid down for us. Uh, the word Eucharist actually means thanksgiving or gratitude. How many of you knew that? Eucharist is, is thanksgiving and gratitude. So when you participate in the Lord's Supper, you're rejoicing, you're thanking God for what He did on your behalf. Uh, that phrase you'll commonly hear uh, at Catholic churches. Uh, I think the Methodists, the Lutherans, and the Anglicans, they're, they're more familiar with using the phrase Eucharist, but you don't hear it in uh, a lot of Protestant churches too much. But the idea behind it is we're thanking God for His sacrifice for us and rejoicing in that. Uh, we usually call it communion. Uh, communion just means fellowship, sharing, or participation. It's the Greek word koinonia. So when, when we come together to celebrate communion, we're actually fellowshipping with God's presence and with one another in that moment. We are participating in the work that Jesus did. Uh, that's, communion is more common. Most Protestant denominations, that's what you'll hear. Uh, some of them will also use the Lord's Supper because that's how Paul referred to it in Corinthians. Uh, I thought this morning, you know, we talk about other religions and denominations, and I thought, you know, whatever you think of the Catholic Church and, and the doctrines, and the, they usually end their service with the Eucharist. Like, and I thought, man, there's, I know that there's places that it's just become a dead tradition, you know, and they do it because, oh, that's the schedule we've always followed. But I thought there is something profound in that, that everything they do culminates to a celebration of the cross, and, and participating is celebrating His presence in our lives. And I thought, you know, I don't want to say we got backwards because I, I haven't felt led to change our schedule. But in a lot of Protestant churches, we do everything we do to lead up to the sermon. And I'm like, well, that's, that's not, there's something backwards about that. We really need to lead up to and celebrate the cross and the presence. Um, you know, we, we happen to worship first because we put such a high value on God's presence. And we think, man, that, that paves the way for everything else that we do. But I just, I just thought that was an interesting note about the Catholics. Gosh, i got to start saying something that's important here. How many of you guys like food? Yes. All right. Some of us like it more than others. You know, I've, some of you have noticed, and thank you for noticing, but I've been trying to like food less in, in the past three or four months. So I've, I've been trying to be a little bit healthy and, and drop some weight. But I know that we all like food. It, it gives us life. It gives us uh, nourishment and energy. It sustains us. You know, there, there is intimacy. There's relationship and fellowship that comes around food that doesn't happen anywhere else. How many of you know that it's hard to put up your guard and have walls while you're eating? Uh, you, you know, there's just something about you want to know who somebody really is? Take them to lunch. Just go sit around the table, eat with them, because those, those walls come down. We were at my uh, aunt's house yesterday, and I will tell you for a fact that walls really come down, no pretenses, when you have ribs. Because <laughs> there is no polite way to do that. There is no way to be guarded when you're eating ribs. It's just everywhere and on you. And you, you realize, wow, we all kind of do this the same way. There's no way out. So if you want to know who somebody really is, food is a great idea. I thought... Uh, how many of you remember who Rick Warren is? He wrote Purpose Driven Life, Purpose Driven Church. One of his big sayings uh, when he wrote that book and they did a big campaign, he would say, food is always a good idea. And I thought, man, that, 
That is not like super deep spiritual revelation, but that is straight from God. Food is always a good idea. There is just something about it uh, that happens. And I, I thought, you know, God really is all about food. Did you, ever, did you ever stop that and think? We think about God, we think about oh, holiness, majesty, beauty, and all this. But God really is about food, too. What happened when he first put Adam and Eve in the garden? He gave them all the trees of the garden. If You, you can go back and look this up for yourself. In Genesis one twenty nine. he says, I give you all of these for food. That, that was the point of the gift of the garden. He says, I give it to you for food. So right off the bat, Adam working in the garden, God gave him all the trees for food. Think about later on, God appears to Abraham. And what is Abraham, what's his first impulse that he does? He says, we got to make a meal. God showed up. He turns around, tells his wife, he tells Sarah, go in and get some stuff together. I'll go kill a calf. You prepare some bread. We're going to make a meal. God's presence showed up. There's food again. Later on, uh, think about this one now. How many of you would like to be responsible for feeding one million people. There's some of us, we think, man, I, I got like four people in my family and I can't even figure out how to do it every day. One million people, and not just once, feed one million people every single day for 40 years while they're wandering around in the desert. That's what God did for the Israelites when Moses led them through the desert. The, the amazing miracle of that was the food that came and sustained the people. And not to mention that it was in a desert. Where are you even going to get stuff to cook and make? That's, that is a profound miracle. Uh, 1 Kings 17, when Elijah, he was, he was on the run from Ahab. What was the miracle that happened to him? God provided him food every day. Ravens brought him food by the brook. And then later, he goes to see the widow. And he says, hey... Yeah, I know you've only got a little bit of food left. You've, you've got a jar of flour and, and some oil and you're just going to make a cake and, and eat it and die. He says, make me one first and see what God will do. She made him some food and the miracle that happened was her flour and her oil didn't run out the entire time that there was a drought and a famine in the land. Psalm 104 says, uh, all of God's creations look to Him to give them their food at the proper time. There, there's something about through food throughout Scripture. Proverbs 31, the wise woman. All those attributes of the wise woman, what's one of the things she does? She gives food to her family. So food's, food's important. And even in the New Testament, think about it. What's one of Jesus' most famous miracles? You remember the loaves and fishes? And He multiplied them to feed the crowd. And it was a sign and a wonder that He was who He said He was. The food multiplied. I think uh, also there's when Jesus separates the sheep and the goats at the end of the age, Matthew 25. What is, who does he commend there? He commends the people to say, you gave me something to eat when I was hungry and something to drink when I was thirsty. There, there is something about food that's important to God. The early church in Acts chapter 2, one of the things they met from house to house, but it says they ate together. That was an important part of their fellowship in building the church in that age. And that's similar to what we're going to do after service today. We're going to go downstairs and we're going to eat together, just like the early church did. Uh, when Peter went to Cornelius' house, Cornelius was a Roman guy. He had a dream, said, go send for Peter to come share you the mysteries of God. Peter shows up and one of the things that he tells him, 
is he says Jesus was seen by us. And here's how he validates his testimony about Jesus. He says Jesus was seen by us who ate and drank with him after he was raised from the dead. That's pretty astounding. Food was even so important to Jesus. He still ate after the cross. He, he was raised from the dead and he proved to them that he was alive by eating. And, and think about what else? The culmination of the age. What do we always talk about that people are looking forward to? The wedding of the Lamb and the marriage supper. There, there is a feast. There's a banquet in the eternity prepared for, for Jesus and the bride, his church. So food is very important all throughout Scripture. But then God even takes it a step further and he says, there's special food that I want you to be aware of. How many of you like special food? Man, you go to grandma's house, you get some special food. It's, it's not like anything you cook at home, except for Pam, who's an awesome cook and, and is amazing. Much better than, than my mama used to make or any of that. But don't tell mom, because later i got to tell her that her food's... All right, I need to move on because I'm digging a hole. So God said there was special food that, that he gave pictures and, and, and foreshadowed in the Old Testament. What was one of the trees in the garden? The, the tree of life. Yeah. That's what you were to say, right, LaVon? <laughs> okay, the forbidden fruit. Two special trees in the garden. The one that Adam ate was bad choice, right? Yeah. But the other one was the tree of life. And God told, said, whoever eats of this will have eternal life and never die. There, there was special food that, that he painted a picture of. And it was actually a picture of Christ coming. Because when we partake of his life... We have eternal life and we will never die. In fact, you can find that same tree that was in the Garden of Eden all the way over in the book of Revelation. That's one of the promises for those that overcome and they enter into heaven. They get to eat from the tree of life. He also, uh, how many of you remember the, the story of Melchizedek? There's, there's a name you don't see every day. If you're looking for a new baby name and you don't want it to be like anybody else's that you've ever heard of, there's one for you, Melchizedek. I'll even tell you how to spell it later. Uh, Melchizedek came and met with Abraham. And it says that, that he had Melchizedek had no recorded genealogy. He was just like this mysterious guy that appeared out of nowhere. And it says he was the king of Salem, which meant the king of peace, and that he was also a priest of God Most High. So even though Abraham was a set-apart special nation, here was another guy from somewhere else that served the one true God. It says he was the priest of God Most High. And in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, it says, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought something to Abraham. Do you know what he brought? He brought bread and wine. Does that sound familiar to anybody else? The, the same thing that we partook of this morning? Melchizedek shows up with bread and wine, and it so impacted Abraham that he turns around and he gives him a tenth of everything that he had. Man, you serve the one true God and this bread and wine, this picture of what you're showing me, it's, it's stunning to me. It's so profound. I just, this generosity, I have to give. Abraham was a hero of the faith, right? He's, he's listed over there in Hebrews. It says he was looking forward to what God was going to do. How do you think he knew to look forward to what God was going to do? How do you think he saw Jesus? Do you think, do you think somebody pulled back the curtain on time and said, look, 
you know, here's when Jesus is going to be born in the stable and then he's going to get. No, Melchizedek came with bread and wine and Abraham was so impacted by the revelation of what God wanted to do in his people, the redemptive work that was going to happen through Jesus on the cross that he believed and was looking forward to the day of its coming. A picture in the Old Testament through food of what God was going to do through the life of Jesus. There's other illustrations. You have the Passover meal with the lamb that was slain. It's a picture of Jesus. In the, in the tabernacle, in the temple, they had the showbread, the bread of His presence. There's all these pictures. The manna that came down while the Israelites were running through the desert is a picture of Jesus and the bread of life. So they had all those pictures. Then Jesus came on the scene. And in John chapter 6, He has this discussion. With, with the disciples, if you want to look in John chapter 6, starting at verse 48, he tells them, I am the bread of life. Just like what we ate this morning, Jesus told them, I am the bread of life. He says, your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, of which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So he, he's kind of he's telling them who he is, and it really messes with them. It says they began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Can you just picture? Come on, there were real people having this conversation. So this, this guy shows up on the scene and says, I'm the Messiah. I'm the bread that came from heaven. And unless you eat my flesh... And I think that's all they heard. And they went off. Like, you know, God, you told us in the Scriptures, you know, the life is in the blood. We're not supposed to eat the flesh and we're not cannibals. And it really messed with their minds. And they start arguing. And then Jesus says to them, I tell you the truth. You know, you would... Come on, we're real people. We would think at this point, you know, if I said something where you guys started arguing and got upset, you would think, all right, now Pastor Chris is going to say something to try to calm everybody down, explain what he meant, give him a little more... Jesus tweaks them. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't apologize. He doesn't explain. He goes on. He says, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. As before any vampire stories or movies or anything, He says, unless you drink the blood, you have no part in Me. He says, whoever eats My flesh and drinks My blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your fathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. So that's... That was a very challenging statement to them. And they didn't have the benefit of reading all the passages that we read this morning about the communion table. How many of you know Jesus' conversation with them makes a lot more sense once we talk about communion and, and once we see the picture of the Last Supper and what He did. But at that moment, they had no grid for what He's talking about. You're telling me to eat your, eat your flesh and drink your blood. Natural and religious-minded people don't get it. They don't understand the things of the Spirit. When Jesus begins to reveal things, when, when we read the Scriptures, when we preach, when we pray for one another, 
natural and religious-minded people put up a wall and they begin to find out what's, what's the matter with what he said or let me tell you why that's wrong. And that's, that's the first thing that happens when, when we get too religious, when, when we get natural-minded about things, we start figuring out why is that wrong? What, what's the matter with this statement? And, and I think Jesus was thinking... Yeah, that, that thing about the light being in the blood and you, you eat the blood and that Jesus is thinking that's exactly why I put that verse in there. Because you need to feed on me. But they were so natural minded they weren't getting it. Grace and mercy always focus on how God made a way. When when you're spiritual minded, when you're participating and looking for the grace and mercy of God, you hear that conversation Jesus said, and you don't hear, ah. Oh, these are the things that are wrong or I, I'm upset about that. You hear, wow, you're going to make a way for me to be restored into relationship with God. That, that's amazing. Thank you. That's, that's the proper response when you hear Jesus say something like that. Thank you. Thank you that you're going to lay down your life for me so that I don't have to go and suffer and die the way that, that you're about to. Does that make sense to anybody? The focus was, even for Jesus, the focus was not on the upcoming pain and separation that He was about to endure. The, the focus was on the new covenant. I'm making a way. You know, yes, I'm going to have to suffer. Yes, I'm going to die. But I'm making a way for you. That was the important part of it. My body's given for you. My blood is going to take away and cleanse all of your sins. This is what I'm doing for you. So sometime, thankfully for his disciples, sometime after he had that conversation where he told everybody to eat his flesh and drink his blood, he has another conversation with them. Sometimes the disciples were a little slow. Do you ever feel like the disciples? God, that's taken me three or four times to learn that lesson. Please, please let me learn it this time so I don't have to go around the mountain again. So sometime later, they're still thinking, what did that mean when he said eat his flesh and drink his blood? And he's sitting in the room with them. They're having the Passover meal. And Jesus took bread and he, he gave thanks and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples, said, take and eat. This is my body. Anybody else think there was a light bulb moment for the disciples? Because they've, they've had this on their mind since that conversation. How in the world am I supposed to eat your flesh? And Jesus takes the bread and hands it to him, says, eat this. This is my body. And I think I could just hear a sigh of relief. All the disciples like, ah, oh, thank goodness. Now I get it. <laughs> you mean, so we, we could put away our knives. We're not going to have to cut Jesus up. The bread. I, you know, Peter looking at everybody. See, that's it. Thank you, Jesus. He took the bread, said, this is my body. Then he took the cup and he said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And it all fell into place for the disciples. I see the sacrifice that you're going to make, I get to participate in. I don't have to physically, literally go to the cross myself, but I get to live just as if I did it. That, that life, the sacrifice of Jesus was so real for us. And every time we do it, we remember Him. And I think that's more than just, oh, weren't those good times we had with Jesus. 
Come on, because that's what we think of when we think of remember, right? We're trying to remember good things. We're trying to remember uh, for the kids that went back to school, trying to remember the combination of my locker. Yeah, that's a challenge, right? I think when Jesus said, do this in, in remembrance of me, I think we, we literally remember him. We, we put him back together. We, we see his fullness in the body. We see his sacrifice. We see what he did for each one of us every time that we participate in the communion meal. If you look other places in Scripture, you'll find out that when Jesus did the communion and when the early church did it, it was actually most often in the context of or at least in conjunction with a big meal. They, they actually sat around. They had a meal. In fact... They, got, they had such a big meal and celebration of the Lord's Supper that that's why Paul had to bring some correction to them. He said, man, in, in 1 Corinthians, he tells them, you've gotten so carried away celebrating the Lord's Supper that, that some of you, you don't wait for each other, you eat too much, you get drunk, you, nobody, somebody else is there and they're starving to death, they're going hungry and you don't share. The, the, the communion time, the Lord's Supper was such a big deal and such an extensive meal that Paul had to bring some correction to get them back into line. I think we'll talk in the next couple of weeks about the, the form of communion, what it looks like, why we do it the way we do it. But I think how you do it and the elements you use is not as important as what you believe and the faith that you're expressing when you participate. There, there is something about coming together and just honoring God through what we're doing and receiving His life. Like, like anything else in Christianity, there is no formula for communion. We, we can't reduce it to a dead tradition. Sometimes God may move in our service where we, we partake of communion and it's joyful. And we're excited and we're, we're thankful. Like we said, the word Eucharist means thanksgiving and, and gratefulness. Sometimes we may be partaking of communion and it is very somber and reflective. And we, we, we really meditate on the sacrifice and what Jesus went through on the cross. But we're not going to reduce it to a formula and just say, do step one, two, and three, and you've had successful communion. Um, I also think that if they were doing it in a context of a meal, that, that brings a new light when Jesus says, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. That's, I think that's part of the tradition of where it came from to say a blessing, to say grace over your meal. Because you're eating together. And as often as we do it, we need to do it in remembrance of the Lord. Thank you, God, for your blessings that you poured out in my life. Thank you for sustaining me and my family. Thank you for the cross. Every time that we get together and eat. So even though we're going to continue just to provide the bread and the juice, the elements on a weekly basis, I think every time that we're together, every time we eat, every time we fellowship, we need to be doing it with an attitude of remembrance and receiving His life in us. So given that, we're going to get ready to eat. And I just, I want everybody to stand up for a second. We're just, we're going to pray and then we're going to get ready to go downstairs but I want us to, to look at lunch today as more than just, oh, it's just another potluck thing because that's what churches do and people bring food and they eat together. 
there, there is a time of, of knitting hearts together and communing with one another and with His presence among us that's going to happen. So uh, we're going we're to pray and do a couple things up here because they need a few minutes to finish setting up the tables and things downstairs. Uh, the first thing I wanted to do is if, if you have no idea what I'm talking about this morning because you've never asked Jesus to have that kind of relationship with you, you, you don't know what's that mean when we even come to the communion table. What are we celebrating? Uh, this would be a, a great morning to start a relationship with Jesus. That's, that's one of the, the basic tenets of, of anything else that we teach here is uh, God loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you, and it is only found through Jesus. The, the sacrifice that he made on the cross, we actually say, Lord, I believe you did that for me. I'm sorry for the sins that I've done, and I receive your life. Um, so if you've never done that this morning, I'm just going to pray a prayer, and you pray along with me. And then afterwards, tell somebody that that was the first time you prayed it. So, uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross for us. Lord, I personally thank you for what you did on my behalf. Lord, I know I was a sinner. I know I was separated from you. And you went to the cross so that I didn't have to. You shed your blood for my sins to take them away. Lord, I, I, I'm sorry for the things that I did that weren't pleasing to you in my life. I receive that newness of life that you gave to me through the cross. I want to hear your voice. I want to be in relationship with you and know you. Come, let your presence dwell inside of me forever and ever. Thank you for the eternal life that you give me in Jesus' name. It's as simple as that, to pray and believe. And if you never did it before, this is the, the first day of a new life for you. Just, I want you to tell somebody before you leave. Uh, then the other thing is, we are going to have some people up here to pray. Uh, if you want to go downstairs right away, you can. But if you've got, if you have a need for prayer, please don't leave the room until you get some prayer. The, the food will still be there, but uh, prayers is is available now. We because we believe that God is alive. He he still heals today. He does things among His people. If you've got physical pain in your body, God is here to heal. If you've got broken family relationships or things that you're struggling with that you just want somebody to look you in the eye and pray and believe with you, please come get some prayer before you leave the room this morning. Uh, there will be people from the, the altar ministry team up here to pray for you. And then, uh, all right, give me a second. I just had a picture when, when Chris was just saying that. Um, I just had a picture of a broken road, like a jagged, like break right in the road. So I just feel like if that's somebody here today that you feel like there's a break in your road, in your journey, in your path, whatever's been set before you, your life, I just believe that God wants to minister to you today and just put that back together and let you see that hole again. Just fix that broken place. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, yeah that is... There are promises over and over in the Psalms that talk about God brings us into level places and, and puts us on wide open paths and spaces so our feet don't stumble. So if that's, if that's something you feel this morning that, man, I've been trying to walk down the road of my life and it's just broken, I can't do it, I can't see the way, um, come up and get some prayer this morning before we go. All right, I'm going to pray for the rest of you.
bless you and and we'll pray for the food downstairs and then you'll be free to go downstairs or free to come up for some time of ministry at the altar. Father, I thank you for your people this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to come gather together in your name, that we live in a place where we are allowed to come and celebrate you without fear of retribution. Lord, we honor you for what you're doing in the life of our church and in our families, in our community. We ask that you would continue to have your way and to be Lord over our lives and the places where we go. Lord, bless your people today as as we leave this place in this moment. Thank you that your presence continues with us, that you go with us every step of the way. Lord, let your favor and your goodness continue to shine upon our lives. God, I ask that you would bless even the food downstairs, that you would use it to strengthen our bodies, that we could continue to serve you well. Uh, Bless the hands that have prepared it, Lord God, the people that are serving Uh, We thank you for them and for the the opportunity to come be a blessing to one another. Let your spirit be present in all that we do and say. Let our conversation lift one another up. And let your name be glorified in all that we do and say. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.